What an incredible blessing to gather today, and my heart truly rejoices uh, today as our church is moving forward in a, in a uh, God-honoring way, um, so I'm prayerful that this service will be a worship service, truly worship from start to finish, um, and uh, that it reflects God's grace uh, in us. Well, today will be a little different. Uh, we're going to have a little different tone and tenor to the service. Our opener will be similar to what you've experienced before, but we're going to move through this service and then come to some um, testimonies by Michael and Joe T. as well, and, and then do some prayer for them. And so it might be a little bit different, so um, as I move forward, you might be expecting something and it might look a little different. And so just wanted to warn you of that. So let's just start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord. We thank you for your providential care for us. We thank you that you cared enough to put your words in writing and to give us a mind to understand, to give us a mind and a heart to pursue. Lord, we thank you for the examples through Scripture, small things that give us an example of a pursuit of Christ. Nicodemus by night, seeking you. We thank you, Lord, for salvation and for your grace in our lives, for the example of Christ, who served and died on a cross that we might have peace with you. We thank you, Lord, for redirecting our path, both personally and as a church. Lord, I thank you for your providence in all these things. We give you the honor and glory for all things uh, as they are from you and through you and to you, so that you may be praised. In your name I pray, amen. Well, if I were the author of the book of James, I would have stuck, stuck the second verse uh, towards the end and kind of moved it around a little bit um, to a hurting group of people. The author of James starts right at the front end of it. He said, consider it. All joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What a pastoral call by the author. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, guided through probably many trials himself, to complete this statement so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One's disposition in the face of trials is a test of saving faith, applying life circumstances and challenges to worship was Paul's model in the Philippian jail. It was Joseph in prison for something he never did, and certainly it was our Lord Jesus Christ who died for the truth, and not for a lie. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval, by faith, we understand that the words were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. 
The visible came from somewhere. We have not seen it, but we understand that all creation comes from the very breath of God. Despite all the issues of life, the believer can rest on the promises of God. Faith doesn't ensure that all of life's circumstances will go swimmingly well, because the endurance gained comes through testing. Testing is like swimming upstream. It may be harder to get where you want to go, but if fixed on a goal, it produces endurance. To endure, to endure such a swim, the end result must remain in, in focus. Why would you do it? Why would you pursue it? In Hebrews 12, we read, therefore, and there is a big reason there's a therefore there, uh, and we'll get to that, but it says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The instruction in these verses is a powerful and proven reminder of God's incredible faithfulness. We are drawn to worship him, for he has provided a great cloud of witnesses. Those prior believers who the author points out in chapter 11 are a great cloud of witnesses of his providential care and his sovereign hand. The therefore in this verse, one, are the reflection of lived faith by saints of the past. There is no encumbrance or life of sin that is worth it. I'm going to repeat that. There is no encumbrance in this life or the sin that surrounds it that is worth it. No life of sin provides historical justification to indicate that any sin or entanglement provides eternal gain. Sin provides no path, no worthy race to affix to. Sin and the worldly entanglements are always dead ends. If you are ensnared to an entangled life, seek a brother or sister in Christ. It's not worth it. Worldly entanglements have their own witnesses. The history of them brings death and doom. Those who affix faith to them also have a cloud that covers them that will testify in the end to the futility of their gain. Cain represents a witness of entanglement, while Abel offers us the example of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. To affix our mind and eyes on Jesus is to affix them on the author and the perfecter of faith. Jesus modeled James chapter 1. He considered it joy to stay affixed to the Father, 
and to endure the cross, despising the shame. Jesus himself is the chief witness to these facts. He has been at the right hand of the throne of God. His suffering and trial is an example to us so that our trials may not, that we may not grow weary. What an encouragement the life of Christ is. The fact is this, even those who reject Christ have set their faith, but their faith is set on other truth claims. Faith exists for all, but the promises of God are only the reality for those who place their trust in him. The Apostle Paul's exhortation on a walk of faith is to always move forward, to run the race, to stay in the game, to stay affixed. GCF has had a continual walk of faith since the Lord laid it on the hearts of several families to, beginning, to begin meeting well over 20 years ago. Over the many years of meetings, there have been funerals and illnesses, discouragements, yet there have been so many, many reasons to return to the joy of our faith in Christ. Over any length of time, it may be tempting to affix our hope and faith on man's wisdom, on the strength or the personality characteristics of an individual, or the gifts of another. There is always the temptation to affix our to affix um, to a different target, to affix our hopes to a different target. We can see his providential care in this fellowship. A heart of doctrinal precision has been with this fellowship the entire time. Multiple locations and years of setup and takedown, sound system this and chairs over there, gathering together in different places, and yet God has been faithful to provide us a place to meet on a regular basis. Providentially, we were blessed by God to have faithful preaching all of that time. It helped us to maintain our focus on the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. In our time, and since John's resignation 15 months ago, by God's grace, we have maintained the ministry set before us in our time. Trusting him for provision, for transitions, and for unity in the bond of peace. Staying affixed to Christ and trusting his completion, for he will complete his work. We are merely tools in the, we are merely clay in the potter's hand. What a, we can't be in a better place. Our studies through the book of Ephesians and Colossians, in particular in these last couple of years, have always returned us and returned me to the incomparable, all-sufficient Savior of my very soul. Remember the passage from Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 15. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? 
and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave as head over and he gave over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ. It is his work. We are merely under shepherds in it. We operate under his command, under his instructions. Paul's teaching and focus has never been on himself, but always pointing to Christ to faith in Christ, to the surpassing greatness of the power of Christ. It is easy to be entangled in our minds with the news of the day, the negative things, but to stay affixed is where God's grace is. To stay affixed is where joy is. To stay affixed on Christ is where peace is. My parents are in their 90s. Bodies are getting old and failing daily. Aging is a certainty. A trial is at every corner. But to stay affixed to Christ is to not be wavering. To be affixed is to stay focused on the hope that we have in him. This is the truth of the gospel lived out. The apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, identifying and encouraging them not to become entangled with worthless contemplations and to lose their focus on Christ where there, is a, where there is constant stability. Paul's ministry to the churches was not easy. It was a great struggle, and yet he always refocused on the encouragement that comes from faith in Christ. From our reading in Colossians and study, I love this section of Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures, not some of them, not a part of them, not something of this world that you need in addition to them, but all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit. Rejoice, Paul says, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith. What a blessing. He says, therefore... If you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and what? Overflowing with gratitude. This is the life of the believer, to be so affixed to Christ, to be so affixed that these problems of life are but a mere shadow of just purposes that need to take place. 
so that we may overflow with gratitude, looking forward to this great inheritance that Paul has brought forward in Ephesians. We have been tested, and because of him, we can remain faithful, for he is faithful, for he is the victor. He causes all things to work together for them who trust in him and are called according to his promises. It's not church leaders that do that work. It's Christ. Trust in him. Paul reminded the church at Philippi of where his confidence is in Christ. He says in Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do we share Paul's confidence? Our prayer as church leadership is that we do. Just going to walk a little bit, and this is through my own mind. I'm sure that if we wrote this together, it would look a little bit different on our journey. Uh, the journey of GCF for the past many months that we have been on. Providentially, and you can add providentially to each one of this, the things on this list. Providentially, Ronaldo came to us as a part-time part -time in June of 2022. And when my daughter let me know that she was interested in a Brazilian that didn't live in Minnesota, I was a little bit concerned. <laughs> but it was, a, it was time for me to put on faith, to trust the Lord <clears throat> with my daughter, and he delivered. Ronaldo's ultimate mission is to move to southern Brazil and to spend time with the Brazilians who need Christ. In October of 2022, John Cheek resigned from pastoral service, leaving a full-time vocational elder position open. We as a congregation have been praying <clears throat> and lifting this vacancy to the Lord to fill it with a man of his choosing. As elders, we decided to take several months to adjust to that transition before moving forward with pursuing an applicant. Much prayer went into that time as we considered how to move forward. None of us had been through a pastoral search process or anything like that before. Personally, we've been at churches where this has occurred, but not leaders in churches where this has occurred. We discussed what seminaries were theologically like-minded and landed on two options. In fact, it was difficult, to, unfortunately, to find seminaries that are like-minded. The Expositor Seminary and the Master's Seminary. Contacts with those seminaries along with sample posting materials were gathered between February and March of 2023. We started writing three documents between March and May sought deacon input, input from seminaries, and wisdom from pastors outside the fellowship along the way. The documents were put together, and they included GCF's doctrinal distinctives, a philosophy of ministry for a vocational teaching elder. The application requirements included 33 initial doctrinal questions. We had seven or eight people interested four who took the time to completely fill out the application and submit it. The first interview was set for each candidate. 
Interview one was to get to know them and to further explain GCF. Wanted to make sure that a pastoral candidate right from the get-go knew who we were, both individually as elders but also as a congregation, to get to know our fellowship and our community and our leadership, our current circumstances, and to hear each candidate's testimony. What a blessing that was. Even if the candidates didn't get chosen, God is glorified. We spent a lot of time explaining so that they would understand our fellowship and understand the struggle of ministry here at GCF. If you're going to bring your family and move to a new location from wherever that was coming, it's good to know and to understand. Subsequent interviews were deeper into the candidates' understanding and positions on a host of theological topics. From creation, the nature of salvation, biblical covenants, doctrines, hermeneutics, end times, marriage and family, biblical counseling, and a host of other topics. During these interviews, we learned the candidates very well. As you know, we invited only one candidate to visit and to preach. Michael's application and interview interviews were models of consistent scriptural references. And we were very impressed with his ability to pick up our preaching rotation and handle some very difficult passages. His application response was 25 pages. Most responses to applications are minimal. Co-occurringly, we started to review his first Timothy and Titus qualifications. This included some comprehensive questions to numerous references regarding family relationships, reputations both in the church and external, character and capacity to teach, and ability to refute error. We spent some time with our deacons and women's ministry leaders to provide further feedback. We also invited the congregation to provide feedback regarding this this selection. It's interesting that co-occurringly as well, we had been considering the heart motives of leadership, allowing God to retool us as men, looking at biblical qualifications of elders and deacons, and doing it in a more detailed manner than we've done before, allowing the material of grace and granite uh, to wash over our men's ministries. These biblical teachings and topics have been incredibly helpful for our leadership as we, as we desire to be under God's control and by his design. I believe also our focus in our preaching ministry in 1 Samuel has been equally rich. It gives the opportunity to Old Testament characters to speak through their faith Remember the prayer of Hannah and her faith. Remember the failings of Eli and his sons. Poor leadership. Remember Samuel being brought up by God in a providential and sovereign way to lead and to prepare his people. Remember Saul. Consider David. All of these things have been rich in teaching and instructive to us. We're so grateful, and today our hearts rejoice exceedingly for what God has done. A few more providential things. 
Ronaldo moved here during a time where we needed somebody to help out and help a hurting, a hurting flock. Providential relationships with key seminary representatives brought wisdom and support and leading to a proper search of candidates. Providentially, the Lord used Ronaldo's credentials at TMS to continue our ability to claim that this was a master seminary church in the area. Pastor Ace Davis was an encouragement to us, both at our men's retreat and with some timely counsel as we went through this process. By God's grace, our men's and women's ministries have grown and the material has become rich and very powerful. We have had faithful teaching in both of these environments. Our equipping hour in Sunday school ministries has been rich and powerful in helping this transition. In particular, Stuart Scott's teaching on one anothering was incredibly timely and powerful. God has equipped this church with several women in, in, interested in biblical counseling and with discipling. Sherry McMullen was achieved an advanced degree from the Master's University in Biblical Counseling. Sev several others are working towards certification in Biblical Counseling. The desire is to disciple people to follow Christ. There are other key faithful women who have been so supplying so many services and untold encouragements. Fellowship meals, decorating, using their administrative skills, prayers, contributions to our fellowship, and faithfully teaching young women. We have seen God's grace in our plurality of leadership within our deacons and elders, and we're moving forward actually, I think, in pursuing better goals. By God's providential grace and salvation of Michael Lawler and his subsequent experiences in his own trials have redirected him and his wife, Joe T., and their daughter, Naomi, to a new home. And by God's grace and your generous donations, for the first time, we will have two full-time vocational elders. You would almost think that God has been exclusively working on us at this church. His character continues to produce a cloud of faithful witnesses as identified in the book of Hebrews. No doubt, more trials will come. Are you ready to affix your mind to the goals of our Savior? you will get an opportunity. But by his grace and provision, we will be more than conquerors through Christ. Please continue to pray for our leadership and for all our church activities, that we may be a light in a dark, dark world. Pray for and love on Michael and Joe T and Naomi as we welcome them. You can be praying for Michael as well as he will be completing his doctorate in preaching, which is a great asset to pursue 
his ministry here at GCF and to just to pursue excellence in preaching. Appreciate that focus. We will also be working with him on his ordination, which seems somewhat bizarre to have gone through seminary, working towards a doctoral degree, but still submitting oneself to the examination of the local church. So today we have an installation service, not to be confused by a celebration of ordination yet to come. At this time, I'd like to invite Michael up to share his testimony and for us to hear what the Lord has been doing in his heart. So, Michael. I can only start by expressing my thankfulness, my gratitude to the Lord, our God, our Savior, to be here, to have directed our path, my path, my wife Jyoti's path, Naomi, to be here at Grace Community Fellowship. It's certainly humbling to be here and to be able to have the humble privilege to shepherd God's church alongside other elders, godly men, pastors who seek to honor God by serving well and by holding firm to the truths of God's word so as to proclaim them, teach them, and live them out by discipling one another, exhorting and encouraging and admonishing one another. Even as Dylan was sharing that heartfelt testimony of God's grace in our lives individually and corporately as a church, we can only look to the sovereignty of God and, and trust that he's in control of all things. And that gives me and all of us profound comfort and joy. Philippians 4, right? Rejoice in the Lord. I, and again, I say rejoice. And so while I'm humbled, I'm, I'm rejoicing today to be here with all of you and am looking forward to the days to come where we will build to enrich our fellowship with one another, get to know each other, walk through life in the Lord with one another, and, and sharpen each other in the Lord. While I am a, a pastor here alongside the other pastors, I also am looking forward to learning from you. And I need you just as much as you need me, right? That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We're individual members of one another, utilizing our unique gifts and personalities and talents to serve and edify one another. And so I am really much looking forward to that. Before I share my testimony, um, I just want to once again express, as Dylan was just articulating, my thankfulness to the elders for meticulously, prayerfully, and thoroughly and patiently seeking out the next vocational elder. It's not an easy process, and I, I, I want to thank them for their patience with me and reading that 25-page document. I didn't even know it was that long. <laughs> but I, I have to say, and, and we also, Jyoti and I, were going through some challenges, and we were 
going to the Lord and trusting him and where he was going to direct us next. And we did look at other churches, and God bless those other churches. Every church needs solid pastors. But when I came across the job post for GCF and saw the questions that were asked that were the full spectrum of doctrine to to life to leadership, I couldn't wait to answer those questions because I saw that these men were looking for a man who obviously loves the Lord, loves his church, and loves the truth. And um, it was just great to come across that and be able to fill those out and then get to know them in the process. So again, we are thankful to God for him providentially directing us to GCF. Like I said, Jyoti and I were in much prayer, trusting God, and I'll share a little bit about that in, our, um, in my testimony. We, we wanted to be patient. We didn't want to rush into anything. It's an important matter to uh, be a part of a good, biblical, solid church. And as we got to know GCF, we discovered and sensed by the Lord's grace that GCF was the place for us to come. Not just for me to pastor, not just to have a job or work, but a place where we can fellowship and worship with you as well and grow together in Christ. There were some things I wrote here that I was looking for, we were looking for in terms of what is a healthy church. And we feel like here at GCF, we have found that. Of course, as a caveat, as I list these things, obviously there is no perfect church, right? We are all seeking to attain to a level of maturity and Christ-likeness and depending on the Holy Spirit for that. But the Word of God does give us an outline and, and uh, of, of what a true body of Christ ought to look like and function as. And we desired a church that seeks to, desires by the Holy Spirit to honor and worship and glorify God. A church that wants to magnify Christ and his good news and the gospel and who he is. A church that depends on the Holy Spirit and is not just a church that is man-centered, man-focused, and dependent on our ingenuity, but dependent fully on the Spirit. We were seeking and praying for a church that preaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ here within the walls of GCF and externally out there to people who need the salvation of Christ. We were seeking and praying for a church that takes the word of God seriously, what it really is, the word of God, not the word of men. And in that line, a church that exposits the word of God verse by verse, passage by passage, book by book, because as was taught this morning, all scripture is God-breathed. Looking for a church that upholds and defends sound doctrine and truth. There's so many lies and deceitfulness today that is being propagated and churches need to proclaim the truth. We were looking for a church that follows a biblical pattern of leadership, an elder-led church, humble, godly men of integrity and character who want to serve the church voluntarily, not by force. We wanted a church that grows in holiness and Christ-likeness and takes sanctification seriously. 
and a church that fellowships with one another. Not just a church that comes together on Sundays and then scatters and never sees each other Monday through Saturday, but a church that desires and abides in deep fellowship and loving one another. If I may continue, a church that studies and learns the deep truths of God and exposes and prevents and works hard against allowing false doctrine to infiltrate the body of Christ. A church that supports missions because we want to get outside of our local area and make sure that the gospel is being being proclaimed, Matthew 28, to the very ends of the earth. A church that counsels one another and edifies one another with biblical counseling. And finally, a church that upholds that Christ Jesus is the head of the church. As Dylan says, we are under shepherds, but we serve the great shepherd, and he is the head of his body, the church. I think all of us here seek to live out and hope to have in our hearts Isaiah 66, 2, which says that God looks to the one who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at his word. And again, as I take all of these attributes, characteristics of what a godly Christ-centered church looks like, this is what we saw at GCF and are looking forward to being a part of while I serve here as a pastor alongside the plurality of elders. Now with that in mind, I would like to share how the Lord has graciously, mercifully saved me. You know, it's always a joy to be able to share our testimony because all of you who are in Christ and saved by Christ, you want to tell the whole world about what he has accomplished in your life, do you not? And how he has saved a wretch like me and how he, while I was a sinner, died for me and granted his grace and mercy and compassion toward an undeserving wretch and sinner. Sharing our testimony is all for the glory and praise of God because it's him that chose me. It's him that called me, that justified me, is sanctifying me, and has glorified me, all for the praise of his glory. So my testimony starts, I was born and raised in a state called Wisconsin, not too far from here, just right across the river. And I had a very loving, faithful, kind family and upbringing. Though my family was not overly religious, I had some Catholic teaching in my life. We would attend Catholic church every now and then. But overall, it wasn't a Christian-centered family but a loving family with whom I am very close to. My parents are still around, they live in Wisconsin, and I'm so thankful for their parenting of me and raising me, but I wasn't raised as a believer. Not very religious. What my religion was growing up was music. 
at five years old, I got my first drum set. And my parents, God bless them, thought it was just going to be a passing phase. But lo and behold, I ended up becoming a professional drummer. And from five years old on, all I wanted to do was play and practice the drums every single day. Thankfully, they had a basement to put me in. But this took hold of my life. You could say it was my religion. I worship music. All I wanted to do was to eventually, from teenage years on, was to move to New York City to go to music school and pursue a career in jazz, and that actually came true. By the age of 20, I moved to New York City in the year 2000, and I went to a music school called the New School Music, and I went to the Jazz and Contemporary Music Program, and there I got to study with some of the best jazz musicians in the world, and my career was launched from there, and I got to perform all over the city in Carnegie Hall, in, in uh, clubs, in recording studios, with phenomenal musicians. My dream came true. But I was living for myself. I was living for the next high, if you will, of being able to perform with the best of the best. I was focused on my dreams, my career, how I could pursue this thing called music. But two key events occurred in my life that were seismic shifts, you could say. One was that a good friend of mine who was from Wisconsin, with whom I performed music for a number of years, got into a tragic car accident, and died on the spot. This happened while I was in New York. That just shook me to the core. That someone I knew was living, and then all of a sudden, he was gone. And from that experience, another musician friend put into my hands a book, a very popular book, though I don't recommend it, so don't go and buy it, it's a New Age book, very mystical, that was very popular back then, and I couldn't stop reading it. It had New Age principles. It talked briefly about life and death and the purpose of life, although in hindsight, as I look back, of course, it was in error. It's false doctrine. It's false teaching. But that led me on a journey to discover what is the meaning of life. Why are we here? What is our purpose and where are we going? So I read that for about a year and I was living in southern Manhattan. And one day on a Tuesday at 8.30 in the morning, September 11th, 2001, I, had a, I was on the top, um, top floor of my apartment slash dorm. I had a full view of the trade centers. And I got up that morning, was about to go to music school, and I opened up the blinds. And shortly after I opened the, or right before I opened the blinds, the second plane went through the tower. And I saw the, saw the explosion and the smoke and the fireball. And for the next hour or so, I saw people 
falling out of the building, watching it with binoculars. I mean, it was, I was that close. Saw the buildings tumble down. It was, I was shaking like a leaf. It was unbelievable. As I'm sure all of you can attest to, you can remember where you were that day, if you were alive then. That was another key factor in my life that caused me, forced me, to think about life and death. And while I was pursuing music and living for myself and for my dreams and my passions, three years, in two, actually a couple of years later, in 2003, 2004, January of 2004, I was flying back from Miami, landed in New York City, two close friends of mine. One was a jazz musician, one was a Broadway singer-dancer. You don't find Christians much in that world. They invited me to his house. They were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. And they sat me down. It seemed like out of the blue. Michael, have a seat. We want to share something with you. We've been praying for you for a year. Really? (laughs) What is prayer? (laughs) We want to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how you can be saved. And from that point on, there was this quick trajectory of me wanting to know more about this Jesus Christ and what he had accomplished in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And they were, they were bold and straightforward in telling me why I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. They told me about my sin. They told me about my eternal destiny and that if I don't repent and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and trust in what he had accomplished on the cross for me, then I will face God's judgment, God's wrath, and eternity in hell because I have rebelled against him. I have disobeyed his law. I have turned my back to my creator and have gone the other way, the total opposite direction. And I'm so thankful, as I'm sure many of you are, for that person or persons who prayerfully and boldly and courageously approached you and told you about Jesus Christ and the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for both Jews and Greeks. And I'm glad glad Gentiles are included in that because that's what I am. And so for two months after they shared with me, I started attending some Bible studies, going to church, uh, hanging out with these strange people called Christians. They're not strange to me anymore. They're my most favorite people. (laughs) But back then, as I look upon it, but I loved it, right? God was stirring something within my heart. In looking back, I know he, was, he, has ca- he caused me to be born again. He was changing my heart from the inside out. And after spending time with them, questioning, probing, interrogating, you know, how could, how could a fish really swallow a man? You know, I'm going to really put you in a corner now. You know, it's like, well, I, I had a small view of who God was. Those are the questions I, I asked, and I thought I was so smart. But in March of 2004, I was walking home to my apartment in Queens, New York, 
I went into my bedroom. My roommate was on the other side. I closed the door. I fell to my knees, and I begged God for mercy and forgiveness for my sins. And of course, we serve a faithful God, and he is a faithful God. And while I was yet a sinner, he saved my soul. He forgave all of my sins, past, present, and future. He washed me. He cleansed me. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, the old is gone, the new has come. He has made me into a new creation. He has declared me righteous, not based on any of my own righteousness, because I have none. There is none who is good. There is none righteous. There is none who seeks after God. He had to come and save me. And for two hours, I was on my knees, holding my Bible tightly, though I barely knew the scriptures. And I was crying literally in tears. I was wondering, what did my roommate think of me? I was bawling because I knew my God is now my Lord and my God. He is my Father. Jesus Christ is my Lord. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside me, and I was born again. The next day, I could have skipped all the way through Manhattan. I was now in Christ. I was saved. He gave me, who am I? Eternal life, everlasting life, which is not just the duration of time, but it's a quality of life. I get to know God, my creator, the creator of the universe, forever and ever, and no longer do I have to fear death or his judgment upon my sin because Jesus took that punishment in my place. And I have been reconciled to God. And not only that, not only does he save us, but he sets us on a course of becoming more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, and serving him, granting us gifts and abilities to be able to worship and serve him and to serve the church. Well, I should speed this up just a little bit here. After a couple years and visiting India a couple times, the Lord called me to serve as a full-time missionary in India after being discipled in New York City at a church, I ended up serving for seven years at a place called Bombay Teen Challenge, where I discipled, started a music school, and helped rescue men, women, and children who were living on the streets of Bombay, India, women who were sold into human trafficking. And I got to thankfully serve there and preach the gospel in India, and we got to travel all over the world and God just allowed me to use my gifts of music and um, discipling others and teaching the word of God in a place that desperately needs the gospel. And it was through that time in India when the Lord placed in my heart a desire to teach his word. I was always a very shy, introverted, reticent person. But the Lord placed within me a desire to teach his people the word of God and to shepherd his people. And I knew I needed training. And so at the end of seven years of serving as a missionary, a missionary in India and then coming back to the States with my wife, Jyoti, who you'll meet in just a minute, 
Um, we ended up, uh, I served as an assistant pastor for a little while in Vermont, and then we chose to move out to Los Angeles, California, to attend the Master's Seminary, where I got my Master's of Divinity, and as Dylan said, I'm currently also going through the doctorate program. I have one year left uh, to continue to grow in the area of preaching and teaching God's Word. Um, but it was really in India that the Lord shaped my desire and heart to want to pastor his people because there's such a desperate need for the word of God to be taught rightly, passionately, powerfully, and, and from the actual Bible, right? And so I knew I needed uh, training. And so by God's grace, we spent four years in Los Angeles. And um, I did serve for a few years uh, at a church in Madison, Wisconsin, um, and I also decided prayerfully to leave that church at the end of 2022 because of a number of reasons, um, one of which is the leadership and I just went different ways. Uh, there were some major convictions that I held in terms of leadership and doctrine and theology that we did not align with. There were some major issues that were in the church. I'm not going to divulge of all of those here, but I'm so thankful because in those three years, the Lord challenged me, sanctified me, grew me. I got to serve the Lord, but we prayerfully decided to leave that church, and if you want to ask questions later, please feel free to do so. And, but the Lord directed us to a more like-minded church, and that church is Grace Community Fellowship. And it's here that I want to faithfully serve all of you and serve the Lord. And my number one priority is to preach God's word and to disciple God's people and to learn and grow and continue to be sanctified in him and I can't do this alone. I need your prayers. I need your support. I need for you to come around me and help me, um, for I am just a man. But while I am weak, I am strong because of the power of Christ that so magnificently works within me and all of us who have the Holy Spirit. Um, I can't forget God's working in my life as well in bringing me to my wife, Jyoti, who is going to come up here now and briefly share her testimony and how God has transformed her life. But I just want to say, it's only God that can take someone like Jyoti, who's from Nepal and India, and bring a boy from Wisconsin and bring us together in holy matrimony and an amazing marriage, which we're going to celebrate 16 years in two weeks. And we have a daughter, Naomi, who you will get to know. She, she's a people person. She, we hardly ever see her when we come to church. She just is, you know, going from one person to the next and loves people. But the Lord brought Jyoti and I together when um, I moved there as a missionary. We got married in 2008, and she has a phenomenal testimony. And if she doesn't get to share it all today... She'll definitely be able to share um, a lot of it as we get to know you. So I would like, and I'm going to help Jyoti a little bit. She knows three to four languages, as most Indians do. Kind of puts me to shame. I know English. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, um, and I say that because but English is your third language, and so I'm going to help her a little bit, but she speaks perfect English. It's fine, but she's going to come up and bring glory to God by sharing how the Lord has transformed her life. Hello, my name is Jyoti Lawler. I born and brought up in India. Sorry, I'm feeling a little nervous now. <laughs> And uh, I born in a Hindu background, and uh, uh, when I was uh, born, my, mo- my mom and dad, they separated, and my mom was 15 years old when she gave me birth. So she like a teenager. So my dad left my mom because he doesn't want a girl. He preferred to have a, a son. So my mom took care of me, and my grandma was there taking care of me and my aunts, and Somebody told my mom that they're going to give her a job, and they sold her in a red light district, and she became a prostitute. And that moment, my grandma, my mom, mom, she took care of me, and she raised me. And few, because I grown up in India, I born in there, then my grandma thought that it's better to be in our own hometown, because I my family from Nepal different countries, so we went back to Nepal, and I was six or seven years old at that moment, and uh, then my mom and my aunt, we all living there, and and few, uh, one years later, I think so, that moment, my mom was like, had some issues and some things going on with my family members, and she killed herself by burning. Started herself on fire. Fire, and uh, she got burned maybe 95%, only her back was not that much. And I saw her, I was nine years old that moment, I can say it. And it was hard for me because I never was that close, but that moment when we moved to Nepal, I was being a little close to my mom because I seen her home all the, that moment more more time. So it was a very hard moment for me. And, and when my mom died, you know, one week later after that burn, my, at least I had my grandmother to take care of me, and I was very close with my grandma because she raised me, and she, I used to call her mom. And few, maybe few years later, she passed away because of her old age and medicine and lots of things going on in our life. And that moment was hard time for me when my grandma passed away because she, she's like my, she was my mom, and is losing my own like I, it was broke me so much, and. My aunt was there, my mom's sister, she took care of me that moment, and we all stayed together that time. And uh, I knew that I cannot stay there long term with my aunt because she have her own child, and financially it's a little hard that moment because when you have your child, you want to focus them too. And it was, yeah, I was blessed to have my cousin, sister, and but that moment I knew I need to move. And I told my aunt, like, it will be great if I go somewhere to get some education and stand in my foot so I can do something. So she knew someone in Mumbai, India, Mumbai, that, that she met and she, that lady told her that, there is a son, uh, it's called Teen Challenge, it's called Bombay Teen Challenge. There you can get free education. And I went there and I was happy to be there because I never had so many brother and sister. And I seen that, I was blessed to see them. And more amazing things happened there with me. It's like finding Christ in my life. 
and I was blessed that. And when there was a people who was telling us about the Christ, about gospel, and I was, it was hard for me to get into know. Uh, it's like a God is a father because I not, never seen my dad in my life. So, so it it hard time that moment like thinking, trusting. trusting God and saying like, oh, you're my father. But God helped me in that area and helped me to uh, come to the Christ, and he gave me the salvation. And later, I met Michael there. A number of years later. Numbers yeah. years later, and God blesses us in our marriage. And we moved back to U.S. for Michael education, and now we are here. And God blesses us with the beautiful daughter, Naomi. And we love to be here, and we want to serve the Lord, that's our motive, because it's all glory to God, because through in our, my own life, I can see that it's like I never seen father, so I know God is a father for the fatherless who doesn't have father, and uh, I never had a hope, because when you lose everything, there is no hope, and you're not a believer, so you don't know where is a hope, but there was a hope in a Christ for the hopeless, and I'm very thankful for the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I think at this moment, the elders are going to come up, and we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. We're going to first uh, provide a certificate to Michael, um, and in Minnesota, in order to do weddings and funerals and to have the legal things required, you have to be licensed as a minister. And so that's done by the local church. And so we've been working on that. We have a certificate for Michael. Ronaldo has it. We're going to uh, present that to him. Again, not to confuse with ordination. He's going to get another certificate, Lord willing. Uh, that will also be uh, ordination uh, part of that as well. And so, Michael, this is a certificate uh, to welcome you, not only personally, but also through your through the pastoral role as a as a licensed minister in the state of Minnesota as well. So I'm going to just ask Eric to open us in prayer and as we stand around Michael and Joe T uh, to uh, start that process. Are we on? Is this one on? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us today, even as we were reminded in looking back, being blessed with an opportunity to see your hand at work Lord, so many times in uh, varying challenges of life, it is hard to see you at work. And yet, Father, from the day of our salvation, uh, as was even shared by Michael and Jyoti, all the way through our sanctification and uh, the joys and ups and downs of life, we can see your hand at work. What a privilege that is. And so we thank you for that, uh, to allow us to see, uh, to look back. And Lord, even as we look back, it is exciting to look forward, and as we stand here this morning and look at uh, today as somewhat of a new beginning, uh, from your perspective, we are uh, just uh, being used, as was mentioned this morning, uh, clay in the potter's hand, and your continuing unfolding of history that uh, as you continue uh, through your son to build uh, his church, the bride of Christ that we are a part of here even this morning. And so we are thankful that uh, you are continuing to fulfill that promise to build your church, and even as we are uh, part of that broader universal church just in this local place at GCF, we are so thankful 
uh, for your work. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that does lead, guide, and direct us in the truth that uh, reveals your word and uh, the amazing truth that it is. What an exciting and encouraging thing that is to be guided in the truth by your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for this time now, even as we welcome Michael uh, to the elder board and as a, a vocational elder, the blessing that it is to have Jyoti and Naomi, his family, uh, with us. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless and to sanctify and, uh, again, as was mentioned, to uh, keep our focus on that future glorification that we uh, so look forward to, that even today, Lord, if it be your will, we would ask that you might send Christ back for us, his bride, the bride, the church of Christ. So, Father, we are excited to look forward and ask your blessing, protection, and, Lord, that you would find us faithful. May we keep that eternal goal and perspective in the forefront of each of our minds uh, that we might stand before you someday. And Lord, may we stand in Christ and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants. So we ask your blessings to those ends, uh, even as we continue in ministry here at GCF. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Gracious Father, we continue to praise you for your faithfulness and your sovereignty in saving sinners. Uh, we can but to praise you for all the ways that you have called people from different backgrounds. And we can say, Lord, that we are a, a multi-ethnic uh, church, you know, um, and for all your faithfulness um, in bringing the gospel to bear in the lives of uh, sinners. Lord, we're thankful for Michael and his testimony, for Jyoti, how you brought them together, and how you brought them to us uh, to shepherd your people, to be under shepherds um, of the chief, the chief shepherd Christ. Lord, we're thankful for your faithfulness this past few months, that you sustained us, that you continue to grow us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help Michael in this uh, task of being integrated in a group of elders that want to honor you with our gifts. Lord, may he continue to be a blessing to us as he already has been. Um, may you guide at every step, um, be with his family, preserve them, protect them. Lord, we pray for a united team, uh, for your glory, that we would all be working together for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. May we as a church be supporters to Michael as um, the people of Israel were supporting uh, Moses' arms. May we be supporters to him in his leading and his shepherding and his uh, preaching and teaching. Lord, we can't do this apart from you. You are the one that created this church. You're the one that brought it together, that has preserved and so we pray for your continual faithfulness in this body of believers. And now, um, as Michael, part of this body, we want to be an encouragement to him and to his family. We need your grace and you need your faithfulness to continue to preserve us. In the precious name of your son, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you. We thank you for your word that's given us instruction for the piercing Holy Spirit that convicts our heart and stirs our conscience. 
We thank you, Lord, for the testimony that we have in Christ, that we were called out of death into newness of life. And Lord, I just thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ, and I thank you for the fellowship that we have in this church. I wish we had space for everybody on this podium to be in prayer as well. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with Michael as he transitions, be with T and Naomi as well. Lord, I pray that you would bless their marriage, help us to be an encouragement to them, to, to walk alongside them, uh, to walk alongside Naomi as well, and to uh, be a part of their life. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we do these things, we will be uh, transformed all the more as we're sanctified in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, guide our um, day today as we go forward. Lord, bless our final song as well as we sing uh, praises to you as to what you have done. And Lord, I pray that you would just be with our fellowship meal as well, that it might be honor and glorifying to you as we talk about you. In your name I pray, amen.